everybody's already thinking about turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and stuff. So we're taking a quick, maybe not a break from James, we'll call this a bonus lesson in James to talk about, you know, a theology of the law, right? Something everyone's like, man, hope we get to that one soon. Everybody's excited about theology of the law. Um, because, you know, when you phrase the question law, what is it good for? I think our instinct is to say absolutely nothing, right? Um, but that, that's not really the best answer to this question of what's the law good for. Um, so two weeks ago, right, I introduced this idea from James that says, if you want to receive the gospel in a way that's actually worthwhile, effective, saving, you don't just hear and agree with it, but you hear and do it. That's what James calls receiving. That's what he calls belief. Um, and and this, this idea actually gets amplified in the end of chapter 2. So next sun, nope, two Sundays from now, because there's no Sunday school next Sunday for Thanksgiving, uh, when Bobby teaches the end of chapter 2 of James, this, this idea of, okay, Belief isn't just hearing, but it's also doing kind of gets amplified and more explicit. So, so the next time we're together, we're going to come to this first, James 2.24, right? I know it's blurry. That's why I made it really big. Hopefully you can still read this. Um, James 2.24 says, you see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, right? That. Nobody has that verse on a throw pillow on their couch, right? If anybody has anything about justification and works and faith, the one that we have on our fridge magnet or on our bathroom mirror is Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Amen. This one, right? Let me see if this is going to work. This one seems Christian. This one seems... I don't know, but we're just going to not deal with James because we like Romans, right? We, we believe in faith alone. Um, but, but the question is, are James and Paul friends? Do they actually agree with each other? Are they saying the same thing, right? Because I'm, I'm going to argue, well, mostly Bobby in two weeks is going to argue, but a little bit today. I'm going to argue that James and Paul don't actually disagree. Am I standing right in front of the screen for you? Do I need to, where do I need to go? Like right here? Perfect, yeah. um, but then my coffee's way up here. I'm gonna spill this. I'm gonna argue they don't disagree, that James and Paul are saying the same exact thing. Um, not in a way like, um, it's Humpty Dumpty, I think, in, in Alice in Wonderland, who says, uh, you know what? When I use a word, it means whatever I want it to mean. Nothing more, nothing less. And Alice is like, then, then what, what, how do you understand people? He's like, because I'm the master over words. And he's just like making up definitions along the way. We're not doing this whole Lewis Carroll, psychedelic, Alice in Wonderland definition of words. Like, I think these words actually mean what they say and that they agree with one another. Um, so... How does that happen? I will answer at the end, but we're going to take a scenic route to get there, right? Because before we can just say, yeah, these guys agree with one another, even though at first blush it might look the otherwise. Um, let me ask a more fundamental question to kind of get, get our bearings. 
and then we'll go and answer, you know, why James and Paul agree. And this way, in two weeks, Bobby doesn't have to spend, you know, his entire time teaching a theology of the law. He can actually teach James 2 as what it was intended to be. So, a more fundamental question for us. Is the law good or bad? Let's just, okay, if you think the law is good, raise your hand. Law is bad, raise your hand. Okay, so... Great. Let's let's skip ahead to section four then. Um, right? It's a question like, is fire good or bad? Right? Because, well, fire lets you heat oil to deep fry a turkey. Right? Fire is good. If you deep fry a turkey in the wrong way, you don't defrost it. Things like that. Fire is really bad. Um, we have to ask the question. You know, not is the law good or bad, but what is the law good for? Or how can the law be used poorly? Also, if it's a 12-pound plus, make sure your turkey's out today, especially if you're frying it. Um, which is mostly a reminder to myself. Um, so it takes us back to our question, law, what is it good for? Let me give us seven reasons that I want to argue that the law is good. Then we'll do a couple caveats, and then we'll get back to this question about James and Paul. So, so this is the bulk of what we're doing. Seven reasons the law is good, no matter what Pierre and others are teaching your kids, because they're teaching how the law is misused. I want to just take the law in and of itself. Why the law is good. Number one, Paul says it's good, right? Good enough reason. Are you in First Timothy right now? <laughs> so you're like, I feel like I ju you just preached this, right? We know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. This is Paul, right? This is the, the faith alone, not works guy who wrote Romans says, the law is good if we use it lawfully. Um, point number two, Jesus likes the law, right? Um, maybe Jesus should have been point number one, but that's okay. It's all written by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> When Jesus comes, he says, hey, are the people like, are you coming to get rid of the law and do something different for us? And he goes, no, I'm not going to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So if you're writing the New Testament or you're the son of God himself and you're asked, is the law good? You're going to say, yeah. We're not doing away with the law. The, the law has goodness. It has purpose to it. Um, what might some of that goodness and purpose be? Well, number three, the law points us to God's character, which is an incredible thing. Like, we want to know the kind of God we worship. Um, so, so, you know, I put up, what, four passages from Leviticus? It, you know, the, the refrain is this, is be holy for the Lord is holy. Be holy, for I am holy, or I am the Lord your God. Uh, you shall be holy to me, for the Lord, I the Lord am holy. The priest should be holy, because I am holy. And just so you don't think this is just an Old Testament concept, First Peter says, quoting, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So why does God want us to be holy? Because he is holy. The law tells us, how we can be like God, and it tells us what the character of God is like, right? Why is the Old Testament law so concerned about 
I don't know, ceremonial cleanness. Because God is clean. God is not impure or filthy or defiled. He is perfectly clean. Why does the law tell us to care for orphans and widows? Because God cares for orphans and for widows. Because he loves the oppressed and he wants to give his power to those who have no power of of their own. Why does the law care about sacrifices for sins? Because God cares about sin. God is righteous. He says every transgression, every sin must be paid for. God takes sin seriously. Therefore, the law takes sin seriously. Right? God's unchanging. James, James 1 told us that, right? There's no shadow due to change with God. Therefore, his character is the same. So when we look at the law and its, its demands, the, the righteousness it requires, it points us to the righteousness of God. God says, be holy in the same way that I am holy. And the law helps us to do that by showing us God's holiness. But it also shows us how we live out in holiness. So number, I should number these, four, five, six, somewhere in there. The law is going to show us what faith actually looks like. So God doesn't say, be holy and figure it out. And if you don't, you're going to hell. So good luck on this, bucko. He says, let me tell you what faith actually looks like. Um, so, so the law defines both sin and righteousness for us. I mean, Paul says in Romans that I would not know what it meant to covet if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet, right? So the law says, don't, don't desire your neighbor's, you know, house, livestock, whatever it is. And Paul's like, that's what that is. I felt this thing in me. But until the law came and defined sin, it was just this amorphous, but this doesn't feel right. But now the law comes and says, no, here's what it means to covet. This is what you should not do. Um, But it doesn't just show us our sin. It shows us righteousness, right? So when you build a new house, building codes, everybody loves building codes, right? Um, When you make a new house, you shall make a parapet on your roof, um, which is like a, a fence. So we... Just like if you're building a church, right? You want flat roofs on it. Um, Then, just laughing because he's dealing with all the leaks on the flat roof right now. You probably want a pitched roof. Um, But in the Old Testament times, what you would do is you would build your house with a flat roof on it. Because then you have your downstairs where you can live. And then you have this really nice patio area. You go up there, you barbecue some, I don't know, lamb, something kosher. Um, you can relax on it, get your suntan, just whatever you do um, on your roof. That's where people hang out. Also, it's super hot inside because air conditioning's not invented yet and you're living in the desert. Um, so you're on the roof and, and the law says, when you're building your house, put a parapet, put a fence around your roof. Why would you want a fence on your roof? So you don't fall off. So you don't have friends over and they, you know, eat too much of your bar. I don't know if you can build a grill on the roof. I'm totally making this up. They eat too much barbecue. They get sleepy. They fall off and die, right? Um, right? That you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Build a fence. Why? Because that's a good way to love your neighbor, right? It's not loving to your neighbor for them to fall off your house and die. 
That, that feels fairly, like I don't have to argue that point. Um, so the law says, not only here's what sin looks like, here's what it looks like to love your neighbor. If you want to put your faith into action and be holy as I am holy, God's going to protect people. You do the same. Value human life by loving your neighbor and building a, building a fence, a railing around your roof. Um, the law is also good because it gives us the context of God's blessing. Um, so, so Genesis 1, the blessing of God is connected to the commands of God. Right, let me, let me uh, prove this to you. Genesis 1.26, where this is day six of creation, right? God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own, own image. In the image of God, he created them, created him. Male and female, he created them. And then look at verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them and gave them a command and gave them law that said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When, when Moses writes Genesis, he's linking God's blessing with God's law, right? Blessing and law are connected here. Um, it's not like law and blessing are pitted against each other. Um, I mean, a lot of times we think we can't have both law and freedom at the same time. We think... You know, rules are the problem, when really the problem is our own sin, isn't it? It's our disobedience to the rules that is the problem. The problem's not, you know, with the law. It's not with God. It's with us. But if you're anything like me, you're selfish and think the problem's never with me. And therefore, the law has to be bad. I, if, if it's between me being bad or the law being bad, surely the law is bad and I'm good. Um, and the, and the Deuteronomy makes the same case, right? Absolutely. Um, but that's, that's not the way it is. Even before sin enters the world, rules and blessing go hand in hand, right? Yeah. God blessed them and gave them a commandment. In the garden, as they obeyed, they were blessed. Or we just did Joshua and youth group, right? As the armies obeyed God and pushed forward into the land, God gave them victory. When the armies disobeyed God, like the sin of Achan, who uh, stole some silver, hid it in his tent, the armies pushed forward in disobedience, and 36 of them got slaughtered in this battle that should have been, you know, super easy. Um, God's law is a blessing to us because it's the channel of God's blessing. Or um, there's a, the paralytic who's, who's lowered through the roof, that probably had a railing on it, to Jesus, teaching in the Gospels, right? And you have that whole healing. What does Jesus say? Get up, take your mat, and go home. How is the paralytic blessed? By obeying, by getting up, taking his mat, and going home. The, the healing, the, the, the miracle, the blessing comes in obeying what Jesus says. Uh, so, so the law is a set of restrictions, yes, but it's a set of restrictions that leads to flourishing, right? Freedom doesn't mean being free from all restrictions. It's having the right restrictions that help you flourish, right? Um, I mean, the example everyone uses is a fish. A fish has, what, 
gills that breathe air from water and not air from air. A fish have, right? Is that, I think that's how it works. I should have prepped, you know, this illustration a little bit better, but that's what happens. They have fins that push them through water, but don't really do land very well. So if a fish wants to be free, he doesn't say, all right, throw me up on the sidewalk. I want to walk because in his freedom, he's going to become sushi in 20 minutes. Um, but if you give a fish restrictions like water, that's how a fish becomes free so he can actually swim and do what he was created to do. It's not the casting off of all restrictions, but freedom comes by having the right restrictions upon us so that we can prosper. I mean, just think about the, uh, man, my hand's like shaking on that coffee. I should stop drinking that. Um, just think, going back to the garden, when Adam and Eve cast off God's restrictions, when they did not obey God's law, did things get better or worse for them? Yeah, worse, obviously. Um, sin entered the world. And so God's blessing and God's law go hand in hand. The law gives context for God's blessing. And the final, nope, this is going to be number six. The law promotes holiness and fellowship, right? When Jesus is asked, you know, what's the most important law? He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, you know, the second most important part of the law is like it. Leviticus 19, 1, love your neighbor as yourself. So don't commit idolatry against God. Don't commit injustice against neighbor. Um, that's vertical, horizontal. I'm not trying to bless you. I'm not turning Anglican or anything. Um, so so we, want, we want this, right? Let's say, who we got? We got Courtney and Pam. Pam's not here. Courtney is. You're teaching five through sevens soon, right? Let, let's all pretend we're Courtney right now. In, what, an hour, half hour or something, we're going to teach five through seven-year-olds. Do you want your class to, to fear God and to love their neighbor? Or do you want them to be anarchists who hate each other? Anybody on Team Anarchy for your class? No. Everybody wants people to love God and love their neighbor. This is a good thing. And the law says, do it. Like, this is how we flourish. This is how we have holiness. This is how we have fellowship. We like these things. We want our neighbors to love us and to fear God and to love him, right? We don't want our neighbors to be murderers and thieves. We, we like the law. The law is good. We're not going to call evil what the law calls good. Um, and finally, I mean, there's other things we could say. The law promotes this life of wholeness and unity, right? Uh, so, so we came to James 2 last week, and there's this verse in there that says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Because the one who says, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you commit adultery, but do not murder, you've become a transgressor of the whole law, right? This all stands together. We don't have, you know, 600 some sub points of the law where it's like, you know what? I obeyed 500 of the 600. I'm pretty good. No, it's, it's a package deal. You get the whole thing. It's a lifestyle of blessing and obedience. Um, it's this path of wisdom or the path of life. So you come to, you know, 
random passages in the Old Testament, right? When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you should regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years you shouldn't eat fruit off of your new tree. And then the fourth tree you should give all of the fruit to the Lord as a sacrifice. But in year five after planting your apple tree, you can go ahead and eat it. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. What, is, what does the fruit have to do with anything? God says this is the package deal. We're, we're, we're respecting, we're honoring even things like fruit trees, right? Fruit trees exist for the glory of God. And so maybe this is good practice. I don't, I've never planted a fruit tree. I don't know if it's going to produce more fruit at the end. But said, let's, let's respect this tree a little bit. Let's let it grow for a few years. And then once it's growing and producing lots of fruit, you're going to sacrifice some as thankfulness to the Lord because he's the one giving the fruit in the first place. And then you can start eating it. We don't live in this utilitarian culture where, you know, fruit trees are for food only. I plant, I eat, I survive. No, they exist for the glory of God. Let them flourish a little bit. Sacrifice off the trees. And then you can eat some of it. Oh, you have things like, why, why you know, the, the, the command, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Why? Why can't you take a goat, eat it, and you're like, I need to boil this in milk, apparently, because that's how you cook goat. Um, Let's, let's respect this goat a little bit, right? Let's, I don't think, you know, this is a prohibition against eating like a chicken omelet or something. Like, I think that's fine. Um, you'll understand that in a few days. Um, but it's, let's, let's have a little bit of respect for this goat. He just gave his life for your lunch. So don't be like, you know, add insult to injury and be like, this dead goat's now boiled in its mother's milk, the thing that's supposed to give him a life and help him thrive. Now we're insulting him by boiling him in that. Like, let's respect the goat a little bit. Let's respect his dignity. And let's live this lifestyle of wholeness, of, of appreciating what God has given. Or, you know, there's all the laws about what happens if you find black mold in your house? You burn it to the ground and have a priest come. Why? Because we respect human dignity, right? There's, there's a standard of living that's good for humans that what? That shows the dignity that God has given to us. So we don't live in a place that's just overrun with mold. We, we have this clean house. And, you know, you're not going to hell if there's, there's mold in your shower, right? But, but God created us as the pinnacle of creation. Let's show some dignity where God shows dignity, whether it's to trees or to goats or our own living situation. It's this entire lifestyle that the law is putting forward. Of, this is how we live as we were created to be. We, we dignify the things that God created. We respect them. We respect us. We love God. We love our neighbors. It's this whole lifestyle. <clears throat> and if you break it at one point, as James says, it's like, you know, it's like the balloon. You put a pin in. Oh, I just put one hole in the balloon. No, the whole thing's going to explode because if you break part, you break it all. It, it's this one contained lifestyle. So, <clears throat> because of these seven reasons, I could list, you know, 18 or something if I wanted to. Um, the law is good, as long as we use it lawfully. Right? I think a lot of times we say the law, yeah, the law shows us our sin and our need for Christ. That's true. The law condemns us. That's absolutely true. We think the law is bad. But when, when uh, who is this? David in the psalm says, 
How I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. David's not just this masochist who loves, like, I love meditating on my condemnation. I'm such a sinner, and that brings me so much joy and delight to think about my failures. No. David says, your law is beautiful. Your law is sweet like honey, and it is good, and I love it. Yeah, the law shows us our sin, but that's our problem. That's not a problem with the law. The law in and of itself is good. Now, that being said, if you use the law unlawfully, in the wrong way, it's deadly. Just like if you fry a turkey in the wrong way, it goes from being delicious to burning down your house for Thanksgiving, so don't do that. Um, you can use the law in a few bad ways, right? The kids are in Galatians 1 right now. If you use the law to establish your righteousness, then, then, then that's bad, right? Um, oh, let's, let's go quick here. Paul says, you know, if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do we want to say Jesus died for nothing? No. No, we don't. Nobody responds. I thought you would be quicker on the draw. Like, No, we like the death of Christ. We think that's good and worthy. Then don't try and justify yourself by the law. Right? Receive Christ as your righteousness. The law isn't intended to make you right with God. The, the law shows us how we live a life in righteousness to God. It doesn't get us there. It shows us how to live once we are there, right? We're not under the law. We're under grace. That means we're not going to hell because there's not a fence on your flat roof. We're not going to hell because there's mold in your shower, right? But, but once we're right with God through the gospel, through belief in Christ, then the law shows, okay, here's a good way to live and prosper the way you were created to be. Um, or I'll, I'll say it this way, <clears throat> right, from Romans. I'm, I'm using all Paul here to show, you know, we're on the same, same page here. The wages of sin is death. So if you work for sin, you're going to be paid out death. But the opposite should say, you would think, but the wages of righteousness is life, right? If you work sin, you're going to die. If you do what's right, you're going to live. That's logical, right? But that's not the argument of Romans. It says the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to you dying. But grace, the free gift of God, is life in Jesus Christ, right? We, don't, we get condemned by our works, but we don't get saved by good works. We get saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace is how we get life. Grace enables our righteousness. Um, I mean, that's the entire argument of Romans 6 here. I mean, yeah, we'll stop there. So we want to say the law is good if you use it in the, light, in the right way to show you know, the character of God to show us how to play out our faith in real life. But if you're using the law to try and justify yourself, to make you right with God, the law is deadly for you. And so we come back to this question. Do, so did James and Paul disagree here? James 2, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. I, I don't think so. Um, actually, I'm going to say no. I don't think so. It's not strongly enough. I'm going to, you know, leave this verse to Bobby in two weeks. I don't want to steal all of his thunder. But let me just give you a few reasons why they agree, right? 
that's probably too small and blurry. So Romans 3 is an argument about how does somebody get saved, right? Um, we, we believe that somebody is saved, justified, by faith, apart from works of the law. James 2 is a question of, okay, so what does this faith look like? Is it just a faith that hears and says, yeah, that sounds good? Or is it a faith that actually acts out its actions, right? It's about how does one live out this faith? Um, I think, so as soon as I finished this lesson, like two hours later, the Gospel Coalition put a link on Facebook. It's like, do James and Paul agree by Tom Schreiner? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, give me that link yesterday. I would have been, done. I could have gone home early. This would be great. And he says, you know, for James, faith is not, you know, if I said there's a bomb in the classroom, it's going to go off in two minutes, faith doesn't go, uh-oh. Faith gets up and runs, right? That's what he means by, you know, that you're justified by your works and not by faith alone. He's saying this is the uh-oh, but real faith is the work of getting up and running based on what I told you. So, so there's different audiences, right? Why didn't that go? There's different audiences. Romans 3 is saying, don't try and be justified by your works. Be justified by faith. James is saying, don't think that the faith that justifies you, you as a, huh, yeah, I believe that. But it's a faith that actually gets up and does something. It, it acts like you believe it, Right? Um, we can say James believes in justification by faith alone. James believes what Paul says in Romans 3. Uh, James 1.21, receive with meekness the implanted word that's able to save your souls. Receive the gospel by faith. Don't do anything to get it. Just receive it with meekness. Be humble. Receive the life that God gave you. Paul believes that faith that safe should actually look like something. Um, so in the very beginning of Romans, Paul says, um, I'm writing this, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Faith demands obedience. Or at the very end of the book of Romans, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to bring about the obedience of of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The entire book of Romans that says you're justified by faith alone, well, justified by faith, um, is written to bring about the obedience of that faith. So we don't want to separate the two. Um, more than that, Romans, this, this entire tirade against legalism, against using the law to justify yourself, says, you know, do we overthrow the law because of faith? No, we uphold the law. We love the law. Or Romans 7, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Same book as, as justified by faith, not by works. Um, Romans even says that Jesus died so that we would keep the law. Um, Romans 8.3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Here's the reason. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us. 
us. Not fulfilled in Jesus, but the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans, Paul loves the law and he says, because Jesus died, you're actually going to do what it says. Not perfectly in this life, but why, why cut this fulfillment short? We still have, you know, heaven. We have eternity of righteousness to fulfill the law. It's going to happen. Um, all right. We need to shut this down. I'm like, I'm going to go short today and take a bunch of questions. That's not happening at all. Um, so let me, let me just end with uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I think this is one of the most clear verses in Scripture on this. Is one saved by the works or by faith? They're saved by faith. Are we saved by faith to do nothing? Absolutely not. We're saved to do good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not because you did the law. This isn't because of your works. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's saying, yeah, the law is not going to save anyone. But don't think because you've been saved apart from the law that you have nothing to do. The reasons we were created in Christ Jesus is so that we would actually act out that faith and do the good works that God has prepared for us. All right. I can do one question and go a little bit late. I'm sure everybody, you know, this is not a simple concept. Um, anything? I should just pray for us and you know, like just let Bobby teach the the text and we'll we'll be good. It'll we'll get cleared up in two weeks. All right, let me let me pray here. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you that you are kind and give us the law. That the law is a grace to us. That it is a um, it's here to what not be the the master over us, but to serve us. That we are not slaves to the law. But the law comes to show us our sin and our need for Christ, yes. And it shows us how to live a life that corresponds to the way we were made. It gives us the, the restrictions that allow us to flourish and not the, what, the, the lack of restrictions that leads to our death. It keeps us on the, the narrow path that leads to life instead of the wide path that leads to death. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be um, people with, with real living faith, one that comes through Jesus Christ, not from our own works, but that, um, that brings about good works, that our faith would, um, would be real, that it would be living, that it would cause us to love you and to worship you and to love and to serve our neighbors. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior who fulfilled the law for us. In his name we pray. Amen.